0: Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. I'm Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Thursday, March 11th. There is an acceleration underway in the nation's electric infrastructure network, and its speed is relatively blinding. Of course, it has to be. There are hundreds of electric vehicles coming over the course of the next few years. The lingering question has been around charging. While auto manufacturers and their suppliers figure out how to make EVs appealing to America's gasoline-addicted customers— the industry is also pushing for newer, better, and faster technology to speed the recharging process. California-based EVgo is the largest public fast-charging network in the United States. With more than 800 fast-charging locations in more than 67 metropolitan areas across 34 states, EVgo owns and operates the greatest number of public fast-charging locations in the U.S. and serves more than 220,000 customers. And it's rapidly expanding its fast-charging locations. Most are the 50-kilowatt units that have been the standard, but not anymore. Future installations will feature more 100-kilowatt, 150-kilowatt units, along with some 350-kilowatt models. EVgo's mission is simple, to expedite mass adoption of electric vehicles by creating a convenient, reliable, and affordable EV charging network that delivers fast charging to everyone. It focuses on delivering a seamless experience to 220,000-plus customers that charge on the network. In short, it's putting its foot to the floor on EV charging. To talk more about the future of EVGO and the charging network, we've reached Jonathan Levy, Chief Commercial Officer at EVGO in California. Jonathan, it's a pleasure to meet you, to get to know you. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's, uh, you know, another beautiful day in Southern California. Hard to complain, except it'd be much better if we all could get out there and and drive and roam, but hopefully we'll all get vaccinated soon and back to work.
0: There we go. I like that optimism. Um, Let's start by uh, explaining to our listeners uh, the business model that you have formed. And I want to dig into a couple of questions related to that, but just give us the lay of the land on the company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So EVgo is the nation's largest public fast-charging network for electric vehicles. So that primarily means that we own and operate public fast-charging stations for retail drivers, fleets, everybody in between. Um, but we also have uh, this experience of, of of a decade of leading the way in electrification. That means that we've got about 1,000 level twos in our network, but we have focused primarily on fast charging for those folks that live in apartment buildings and everywhere in between that need to have that confidence uh, that they'll be able to charge their vehicles in and around where they work, live, drive, everything everything about it. Um, the good news, though, is that experience in being an owner and operator makes us really focus on reliability. You know, obviously, if you own and operate the stations, you generate your revenue from dispensing. So you're aligned with the customer in that if the charger is not working, the customer is not happy, and EVgo is not happy because we've missed an opportunity to make revenue. And then that experience actually ends up giving us an advantage in that growing fleet segment because our 98% uptime uh, that leads the industry is really critical to those fleets, especially the ones that have to come back to a depot or need that access to a hub-and-spoke model of out-in-the-wild charging and access to a public network. All of those things end up being part of EVgo helping electrify a number of different segments, but primarily through, uh, through public fast charging and this burgeoning fleet segment.
0: So how did you get into public fast charging? Give us your history.
1: Sure. Well, the company's history is is long and rich, and I've, I've actually been uh, a little bit uniquely positioned in that I came to EVgo from Vision Ridge Partners, which had been the uh, controlling investor after acquiring a majority stake in the company from NRG in 2016. And so NRG had created the company originally when David Crane was CEO there as part of a, a broader uh, clean energy vision that David had. Um, and so in 2016, they they sold the company to Vision Ridge, which is a, a private equity firm based in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and then uh, the, the company had been focused really on partnerships, which is really critically important. The, only, the best way to grow this market is by working together hand in hand with automakers and public policymakers and fleet providers and others. You know, we, our CEO, Kathy Zoy, loves to quote uh, Wayne Gretzky and talk about the fact that we don't skate to the puck, we skate to where the puck is going. Um, but what that really means in infrastructure for electric vehicles is building just ahead of the puck. You know, we need to, to build the infrastructure that enables EV adoption, and then the EVs use the infrastructure to generate revenue to be able to reinvest and build more infrastructure. So it's it's really similar in that way to the telecommunications industry, right? Verizon and AT&T invested a bunch of money into the ground for for 3G to generate revenue to invest in 4G and, and so on and so forth. Well, with EVs, obviously, the market is, is still a bit nascent, but it's really accelerating. And it's meant building ahead in a number of cities. Well, to build ahead with a disciplined unit economics model that allows you to be sustainable both environmentally and economically you need to work with partners and so what we've done uh, since the uh in the last couple of years post the vision ridge acquisition and then vision ridge uh sold uh, their interest in the company uh to LS power that closed uh, last year in January and now obviously the the public news to bring it all full circle of david crane's uh SPAC uh climate real impact solutions uh working together with EVgo to to go public All of that has been about really continuing to push the envelope and build out this industry. And so we've done it with partners like Nissan and BMW. And last year, our CEO, Kathy Zoi, and GM CEO, Mary Barra, announced a big deal where Evigo and GM are partnering to add 2,700 public fast charging stalls to our network. And we're continuing to see great opportunities to work with um, stakeholders across the industry to make sure that we continue to skate ahead of the puck, but not so far ahead that we're out of the arena.
0: But you were a public policy guy. And I want to get back to you for just a second before we get into the business model a little further. I mean, you were a policy advisor in the office of the House Democratic Caucus under Rahm Emanuel. um, And then you got into the Department of Energy. So you went from public to private.
1: Yeah, well, look, I'm the youngest of three children, so I try not to make it about myself too often, but happy to happy to do that a little. Uh, so uh, yeah, I started, I'm, I'm a bit of a congressional nerd, right? I did my undergraduate work uh, at Emory, and I knew I wanted to major in political science, and I, I actually interned in Rom's congressional office uh, when I was in college and wrote my thesis on the voting behavior of marginal members uh, or members of Congress in marginal districts. Uh, and But I knew I wanted to be Working in D.C., I was an institutionalist. Still, am uh, very disappointed in the current state of affairs of, of Article One. Uh, but when I went to D.C., when you go to the Hill, especially on the House side, you don't get a whole lot of uh, specialization early, right? There were there were only a handful of us working on legislation in any given congressional office, and so my portfolio as I worked on my way up the ladder in Rahm's office included transportation, energy, environment, campaign finance and ethics reform, judiciary, appropriations, postal reform issues. Um, it was a pretty wide ambit. And then when Rahm went to become Barack Obama's chief of staff, um, we all had to you know, kind of figure out what was next for us. And I interviewed at the EPA and I interviewed at DOE and looked at a couple other places and had really worked on some early advanced fuel vehicles work on the Hill and really appreciated the opportunities to get more into energy and as, as you may know, DOE is an extremely complicated place. And I, I learned a lot and I uh, really enjoyed it and working with some of the smartest people in the Career Federal Service and the national labs. Uh and then eventually realized that I wanted to branch out and, and do more and was able to link up um with Ruben Munger, who's the, the managing and founding partner at Vision Ridge Partners, and that's kind of how this all happened, right? I'd I'd had exposure to EVs and spent a lot of time mainly focusing on management and solving issues at DOE. But when it came time to, to find the next opportunity, you know, Ruben was starting this, uh, this fund focused on sustainable real assets and EVs and EV infrastructure were a big part of it. And the more I got into the diligence and working with the team at EVgo, the more exciting it was. Uh, and when, uh, when Kathy Zoe came on as CEO, Kathy and I had worked together in the Obama administration and it was just a natural fit of, you know, her, her, her line was, you know, come on, come help me grow this company. This is really exciting, and it's it's hard to say no to a great company and a CEO with fantastic vision, as well as the missions. Right, I, I'm a mission oriented person, and so being able to be a part of something that has these two missions—save the planet while making money—that's a really great opportunity, and it's part of part of why I'm here.
0: So let's get into some of the details. Um, there is a crush of new EV models that are going to hit the market just in the next couple of years or less ultra-fast chargers are going to be critical, right, to easing that chronic consumer anxiety over battery range. And going forward, even faster technologies are are on the horizon. You told us last summer it's happening. There's no longer a question of if or when it's now. The question is how much faster it's going to happen. I would imagine that pace has only uh, quickened since we talked to you six months ago.
1: Absolutely. And look, the vehicle side of this is so exciting, and, and you have to give a ton of credit uh, to Elon and the folks at Tesla for really accelerating this market, as well as the teams at, at BMW and Nissan and GM for being early and leading the way. But what's happened now is a huge shift with more mass-market, long-range vehicles. And so the, the big news with the, the Hyundai Ioniq and being able to, the Ioniq 5, and being at 800 volts uh, the obviously the Mach E, but also new entrants, right? Not just the the Teslas and the Lucids and the Rivians, but even the the Polestar, which you know Geely and Volvo are doing great things. The announcements of hundreds of billions of dollars of investments from automakers and real commitments about retooling and getting to 100% EVs, all of those are really important for customer choice. You know what we've seen in California is that fewer than 50% of Californians in 2019 could name a single model of electric vehicle and just saying Tesla counted as an answer. Well, as you can get more vehicles out there and you reach ubiquity, more people are aware. And my line, and I think I may have used this at the automotive CES panel, is that there are very few EV recidivists. It's such a better way to drive that once you're behind the wheel and you feel the smoother ride, the acceleration, everything about it, it's really hard to go back. Um, now, obviously, none of us are driving particularly as much as we were in uh, in the COVID era, but we know that that will be recovering, and especially in fleets, which I know we want to talk to in a bit. Uh, but to bring it back to technology, and look, the technology continues to change. You know, we've we've been first and fast. And we put out the first 150 kW charger in the U.S. and the first 350 kW charger in the U.S., even though even now, most of the cars, if none of the cars on the road can actually take that, right? Even the Porsche Taycan can only take a max of 270 kW, and that's at its peak. One of the things that I think is still not widely understood by the general public or even some of the folks in the industry is that the state of charge impacts your charging curve. And so even if you can peak at 270 or 350 for some of the newer cars that are coming out, you're only going to be at that peak for a very short time before the curve changes and slows down that rate of charge. Well, what does that mean if you're building a business and trying to make sure you're efficiently capitalizing your infrastructure? It means that putting out dedicated 350 KW chargers may not be the best way to give customers what they need and be able to continue to scale. So what we've been doing is really shifting to a power sharing architecture where you know, putting out shared power cabinets so that if you pull up with a Porsche Taycan and I pull up With a nissan leaf plus you can take your 270 and i can take uh something on the order of of 50 to 75 depending on where i am in my charge curve and eventually we get to dynamic power sharing where it can modulate through those charging curves that enables us to do things that are really exciting and continue to push the envelope on where the market's going and then yes you're right as we get to bigger vehicles and higher power Uh, capability vehicles, especially in the medium and heavy-duty fleet side of things, there will be power configurations even higher than 350, but that makes it even more important to be leveraging technology adoption with power sharing and all these ways to be more efficient.
0: One of the main questions, Jonathan, that that, um, everyone seems to wonder within the industry is when could we see a nationwide charging network that rivals the number of gasoline stations in the U.S.? I'll ask you the question, is that even necessary?
1: yeah so that's a fantastic way to phrase it, because I think if you start if you start the thinking about this and uh, you know, my my philosophy is that uh, you know electricity shouldn't be competing with gas because electricity is already better with than gas because it's everywhere. And we need a lot of everything, right? We need more level two charging, we need more fast charging. We need more at home charging. You know one of the things we've heard from some of our automaker partners, is that there's a high intention of installing level twos with new EV buyers and lessees, but the conversion rate of those that actually do the installation is much lower than expected because what they find is that they have this comfort in being able to top off on a level one trickle charge and then use public charging for everything else average American drives less than 30 miles a day. So the high mileage folks are going to need a ton of charging, but a lot of others are actually perfectly fine. And that goes to a really important philosophy that we have, which is match your throughput to your dwell time and your use case, right? If you know that you're going to a place, whether it's for lunch or, you know, to go to get a haircut or something else, where you're going to be there for 30 to 45 minutes, then actually A 50 or 100 kW charging experience is perfect for that. If you're going to someplace where you want to be there for 10 minutes, then yes, you want higher power charging. And so as the technology is evolving, we want to make sure we're continuously matching those throughputs to the use case. So again, we're being efficient, but also so we're surprising and delighting. And some of this goes back to the very core of understanding the value that fast charging gives people. Right. If you if you think about it in metaphor terms, of course it's really cheap to have a cup of coffee at home, but people go to Starbucks in droves, and they know that they're helping pay for the overhead and the employees and the and all the cups and everything else that goes into it, uh, and so there there is an element of the service that we are providing is of course not as It's not at home, but not everybody can charge at home, right? 30% of Americans have no access to home charging. And when we look at fleets in particular, especially those autonomous and rideshare fleets, they need fast charging. So thinking about making sure how we're meeting those needs, but enabling them to do it as economically efficiently as possible is really important. Um, And, you know, there's, there's a hell of a lot of work to go, and we're really excited about it.
0: We'll hear more from EVGO's chief commercial officer, Jonathan Levy. After this
2: message, the most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. There there needs to be a lot of communication, a lot of
0: marketing, a lot of education that goes on with consumers, even just to the point that, that you just made. There's also some confusion around and some complaints around chargers not connecting and complicated pricing models. Are those complaints justified when you when you look at at you know reliable charging costs and 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 ease of understanding for the consumer?
1: Yeah, well, Jason, I, I think it's a really important point. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about EVgo is that we've brought in a number of people with diverse experiences so we can benefit from their perspectives. But what that means is that we have folks from solar, from finance, from government like me uh, and other industries. And if you come to EVs fresh, you sometimes assume, well, it's always going to work, right? And unfortunately for the industry, reliability isn't a given. And in some ways, it's actually a competitive differentiator for EVgo. And that goes back to this business model point that we started with. You know, because EVgo has this experience in owning and operating and making sure that we only generate revenue when the chargers work, we've invested in preventative maintenance. We've invested in corrective maintenance. We've invested in technology solutions to be able to test and certify and make sure everything works. So our 98% plus uptime is really, really important to us. That hasn't been the case across the industry necessarily, and so obviously I'm really proud of that from our perspective, but the whole industry needs to to continue to improve because a bad charging experience anywhere is bad for adoption. We need everybody to know that this is great and awesome and easy and reliable, and that's going to be EVgo's continuous uh, emphasis as we scale. In terms of pricing and complication, I think… Some of this is, is a little bit about, you know, what do customers need and, and what are they paying for, right? You know, you don't expect the price of, of gas to be the same in Manhattan as you do in, um, you know, even my home my hometown of Chicago. Um, and so you have to think about what are the economics that go into it? What are the components? What's the licensing fee? You know, we're, we're really talking about, uh, you know, a distributed model where we can scale and we can figure out how to accordion up and accordion down based on adoption, but we also have to think about that it's a significant investment, right? You're you're talking about depending on the size of a station and number of chargers, anywhere from a half a million to a million dollars or so for one outlay. And so you have to recoup those costs and you have to make sure that you do invest in it so that it is reliable. And I, and I do think some of that is about making sure that, uh, you know, in the early days we all went towards simplicity because you had to overcome the first barriers. What we see now is that customers that don't have EVs have range anxiety, customers that do have EVs have range confidence, and the journey is really about not just visibility, but the experience. So we've invested a lot in the user experience and software tools and things that we can do to make things better, even things as simple as, you know, we name all of our chargers with human names. So if you go to an EVgo charger, you can find Charger Jason, and we can look it up and tell you where he is. That's really fun, and we think that's important for customer recognition, but it's also really important for customer service so that if you're at a charger and there is a problem, you can call our 24-7 care center and the EVGO representative will say, hi, what charger are you at so I can help diagnose a problem? And so these are you know, kind of – they sound simple, but they're all oriented around a customer centricity and a, a model to make sure that customers are happy and they can get their charge and they can get back on the road.
0: EVGO announced in February that it's upgrading hundreds of stations to serve Tesla vehicles, which, of course, uses a proprietary connector why go after the Tesla market, given that the Tesla supercharger network is really the gold standard for a number of stations in terms of ease of use? And uh, secondarily, will that reduce capacity for non-Tesla drivers?
1: Yeah, so it, they're great questions, Jason. And I think first, again, you have to tip your hat to, to Elon and the Tesla team for being so successful, not just on the supercharger network, but on the vehicles, right? They, the Tesla sales are, are upwards of 50% of EV sales in the U.S. right now. And so, As more more vehicles come to market, obviously that will diversify. But it's hard to be an electric for all company, and we really do mean electric for all as part of our mission. uh, If you're not going to serve everybody, so we are trying to make sure that we're meeting the demand of the whole EV market. Everybody that can charge um, should be able to, and and we think that integrating Tesla connectors to EVgo stations is a critical way to serve that whole market. Now, in some of these, in some geographies, especially in places like. Uh, San Francisco, the west side of LA, where EVgo is based, there are more Teslas than there are chargers, and so making sure that you have the ability to serve those customers so that they can have the the reliable and convenient experience that they need is a really important thing for them as well as for our growth as a company. You know, where it would it would be obviously it's an economically rational decision to go after. The biggest market share vehicle because they're going to have a strong base of utilization. But similarly, it's it's a, there's a bit of symbiosis here, right? Um, you know, the Tesla Supercharger network will continue to grow. EVgo will continue to grow. Customers will have more choices, and that's a positive thing for everybody involved because it helps again sell more vehicles everybody in this market from tesla to the new market entrance knows that you can't sell evs to americans if there isn't reliable and convenient public fast charging out there and so making sure that there are more options is a great win as far as the rest of the question right i think that would be a a great problem to have in in the near term right we need to get well beyond the single digit uh percentages of adoption in the u.s um, to be too worried about it, I know there are some market specific concerns where there's queuing, but I also think that some of that has a vestige of early deployments, right? when you're when you're a first mover in EVs, we often joke that that just means you're a first learner. And so in early days, deploying single or two charger stations made a ton of sense because the early vehicle adopters had 100-ish mile range cars, but they also had garages. Now, as you're getting into that multi-unit dwelling segment and into the fleet segment and into all these other segments, you know, as we and others move to larger footprint stations, the game theory is so much better about if you pull up to a four, six, eight or larger charger station, if they're all in use, that's not going to be as likely as it was with a one or two charger station, but more importantly, you're going to have higher turnover, right? If you show up and you have to wait a minute or five, it's not as big of a deal as in the early days If you pulled up to a single charger station and it
0: was occupied. You didn't know if you were waiting for five minutes or, or 45. What will we learn the most over the course of the next 12 months, Jonathan.
1: Oh, I think we're going to learn uh, how great it is for more Americans to get the benefits of driving electric. I think over the next 12 months, we, we first we're going to have to see what the recovery looks like uh, post-pandemic. But but I think the more that we see great marketing from automakers and charging companies and other partners, the more that we're going to see this excitement continue to grow. I mean, I think seeing an Audi e-tron in the Avengers series was really awesome. Seeing the GM Super Bowl commercials for the electric Hummer and seeing the announcements that Jaguar and Kia and Hyundai and others are making, all of those are, are really a big deal for getting excitement for the Americans that aren't aware that this is an option. I think one of the key things that's out there is this perception that we're still you know, years away, and we're not years away anymore. You know, we we often talk about at Evgo that we're kind of sick of hearing about the chicken and the egg, right? The chicken and the egg with charging and, and, and for, with charging and vehicles implies we're starting from scratch, and we're not. For Evgo alone. More than you know, around 40% of Americans are within a 10-mile drive of an EVgo fast charger. It's north of 80% of Californians being within 10 miles of an EVgo fast charger, and we're adding thousands of stations to our network. Um, and the vehicles out there are fantastic. So, what do we need to make sure that this market grows? It's not about which goes first. It's about having them paired in tandem as peanut butter and jelly to keep our food metaphor going. So you need more charging, you need more cars, you want those to be coming out in a complementary fashion, and that includes policy. So whether it's the Biden administration, thinking about the 30C and 30D tax credits together, or uh, you know a new cash for clunkers type program like Senator Schumer's Clean Car for America's proposal, driving the demand to make sure there are more EVs out there available and deployed is really key to spurring growth here. Uh, and we're excited about seeing that happen in tandem, because we think it's, as you already as you already noted, I, I, I'm a huge believer of it's not if or when, it's now, and it's only getting faster, and we're really excited to have EVGO be a key part of that growth.
0: Jonathan Levy, thank you so much for better informing us today. I think we have a, a great understanding after uh, hearing from you, and we wish you the best of luck.
1: Well, thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure, and, and I've enjoyed listening to your show and, and hope uh, hope this is fun for others as well.
0: We reached Jonathan Levy in California, and that's Daily Drive for Thursday, March 11th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And for a library of more than 175 interviews, go to autonews.com slash Daily Drive. We'll be back Friday.